Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Hey, buggery, buggery, donks. It is time right now, yes, for Morning Combat Friday, December 18th, 2020. What a spectacularly weird year we have had. So why not... Close out this week with a weird episode of MK. Brian Campbell, your host on Fridays, the Beige One, the B- the BBC, all that good stuff, CBS Sports and beyond. Have check. We'll cash it. That's why I'm in L.A. at the moment. On the other side of the earth, though, or, or of the U.S. at the very least, from the nation's capital, that big old hairy bastard next to me is CBS Sports' own. A man of many enemies, though. Not mine at the moment. He is the great Luke Thomas and LT. You get to just sit back and be the analyst today. You feeling it? You fired up? You ready? Pretty good. Yeah, I'm feeling good. Got some, uh, well, the Triple G fight tonight is kind of dumb, but the Canelo fight should be fun, and the UFC card is very, very good. So very it's little loaded. to complain about. Yeah, we're going to preview all that stuff. Showtime Boxing's return as well this weekend in today's Friday show. Orange background, no J. What else could you want, right, to start off your uh, start off your weekend that was? Hey, Luke, have you noticed, though, a uh, lot of buzz from that Malka Media produced uh, video of uh, Dylan Dennis getting hit with uh, with uh, water balloons. It's blowing up everywhere. You see this? You know how upset Jay is that he wasn't on set to take credit for the orchestration of that, That's and a to fair get point. and to get and to bask in the glory of all the buzz that has happened for Malka. Uh, he is probably at home writhing in agony, knowing he missed out on a grand opportunity for attention. Well, uh, I'm still in L.A., Luke, at least until this show ends, uh, as I was part of the color commentary team, of course, for Thursday night's NBC Sports Ring City USA boxing series, which, by the way, last night was spectacular. Shout out to Charles Conwell in the main event. I'm thinking, Luke, on my way to the airport, though, I'm going to be looking out just in case Jake Paul comes by with uh, Big Brown in a truck, uh, you know, looking to throw things at me. In fact, Luke, I've, st- I've stocked up on weapons, all right? Just, just in case, Luke, all right? I've got so many, I've got so many wavos, Luke. I don't even know what to do with them. Hey, we, we, here's the weird one, Luke. What, who does that? I mean, this is breakfast. What is going on here, Luke? Come on. Dude, that's poison. You remember that, uh, who was it? The German scientist who got poisoned by the Kremlin? You're that guy. Jesus Christ. Yeah. You're that you're the half brother of Kim Jong un who got murdered in the Malaysian airport by two ladies who claimed they're on a Japanese prank show. That's that's who you are. 
I love it. That's great stuff. Uh, shout out to me. Shout out to CBS Sports Showtime Malka. Uh, if you want to try Showtime, and I'm encouraging you to do exactly just that, 30-day free t- trial, go to Showtime.com right now. Here's what you're getting, folks, all right? World Championship Boxing, yes. Really great documentaries. Uh, Hector Camacho, all that good stuff. But Luke, uh, good Lord, this comedy store uh, document docu-series on Showtime. I've been, I've, been, I've been making out with that thing all week here in the hotel room in L.A., Gold, brother. Gold. You see this yet? Please see this. Uh, I've not seen it yet. I've, I've got it on the list of things to watch, but uh, I've not I've not watched it yet. Yeah, put that to the top of your queue and uh, hop on Showtime or pound some sand, whatever you got to do. Luke, your front yard, very sandy these days from those big weight racks. So uh, please show up in Luke's front yard and do some pounding. Uh, also, Luke, uh, we want people wearing uh, our likeness, our namesake, okay? We want MK all day nearly every day, and you can wear that too. Store.show.com is where you need to go. Look, I'm sure uh, you can overnight it for the holidays, all right? Outfit your abuela in something special ahead of this Kwanzaa. Please do that. Um, Luke, you wearing anything right now that says MK? No, not not at the moment, but I certainly have a lot of it. Is it weird if I walk around town with a sweatshirt that has my name on it? You know, I wonder that because that's all I do in my town is usually put on the MK sweatshirt off my floor that hasn't been washed in three days and go over to Walmart. You know what I mean? Like a real donk. And I'm like, is this a great advertisement for the show? Me with like stained sweatpants and flip flops walking around? Probably not, Luke, but I'm proud. I'm proud. I feel like those dudes who are like stand outside of strip malls and they have the giant like arrow pointing signs that they're flipping and throwing behind their back and shit like that, you know? I feel like (laughs) I feel like I'm doing that. Men's warehouse. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great stuff right there. Uh, Do I want to sell you anything else? No, I think I want to do this show, Luke. Oh, just like and subscribe. Yeah, why don't you like this show? And why don't you subscribe? Because here's the deal. It's three live shows per week. It's Luke's Thursday live chat. Sometimes you get some kind of brosected thing in there, but you're also getting world-class interviews. I think Luke's interview with Dustin Poirier talking all things Conor McGregor has done about 48 million hits up to this point. This week, we got Canelo Alvarez. We got Wonder Boy Thompson. We got, uh, that's just the beginning, okay? Go check to see who else we got. Edgar Berlanga. Uh, who was the other guy I got, Luke? I got a lot of guys, all right? You got, got let's see, Smith. Canelo, Stephen Thompson, Berlanga, Lennox Lewis. Oh, yeah, Lennox Lewis. Who else you want? Okay, you tell me who you want. You want John Jones next? I'll find him, all right? I'll find In fact, I'll be the one booty calling John Jones on the Albuquerque pullover in the street corner. All right, enough, enough nonsense for today, Luke. Um, got a loaded weekend, and it is time to get into this show. So let's do it on a No J Friday Saturday, the uh, a lot of fights going on. A big one, though, is UFC Fight Night Final, UFC Card of the Year, emanating, of course, from the Apex facility in Las Vegas. Uh, this has been a fantastic year for the UFC. And, Luke, this Fight Night card, top to bottom, it's sneaky, loaded, with a main event you do need to see. Welterweights, former title contender Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, the aforementioned one, in there against Jeff Neal. You may remember Jeff Neal, Luke, who looked like the next... Leon Edwards and Kamzat Shemaev and all that, then he just stopped fighting for a long time. Uh, this, is a, this is a comeback for both after about a year off. And if you really look at the big picture, a win could really catapult either one close or right directly into that top five, Luke. How fired up are you for all things Wonder Boy Jeff Neal? Yeah, this is a fantastic fight. It wasn't supposed to be the main event as we know, but as far as replacements go, You'd be hard-pressed to complain that this is a bad main event. It's actually quite interesting. Welterweight class, 
I feel like there's a lot of divisions undergoing turnover where there's a newer generation of fighters trying to push out some of the older ones. That's a little bit more conspicuous in certain divisions than other ones. But this is a perfect example of it. Jeff Neal is a guy who's on the come up, who's not been in the UFC nearly as long, and frankly hasn't done nearly as much up to this point as Wonderboy has. But you wonder if this is a, a passing of the torch. I want to give credit to Richard Mann from Fightmetric. He puts out a newsletter. It's a free one. You don't have to pay for it on Substack. And he does previews of main events for the UFC typically you know, early in the week so you can sort of get ready for it. And he had an interesting point. He basically said if you look at the knockdown rate that uh, Wonderboy suffered in his first six fights versus his last nine, there's been a substantial increase. Now, if you look at where Wonderboy stands among fighters who get knocked down the most, he's still in some elite company, but he is different from all of those other fighters because in every other case uh, it, where his number is listed and ranked, he is around fighters with a very high volume style. That's actually not what he has. And in fact, if you look at his numbers in his last nine fights, he gets hit less and he has better defense overall. So, so what we're saying, like, why is he getting dropped? Well, at age 37, it doesn't take as much to sit him down as it used to. And Jeff Neal can absolutely thump. On the other hand, BC, you know this as well as I do, as good as Jeff Neal has looked, and he ran through Mike Perry like a freight train, he has never faced or defeated somebody, either the style of Wonderboy Thompson or, frankly, of the stature that he holds in that welterweight division. There is a lot to like about this. I believe it's five rounds. I'm very much looking forward to this. And, you know, Jeff Neal fucking almost died in the hospital with sepsis. He's back, ready to go. This is a good one. This is a really good one. Uh, so much at stake, clash of styles that you like. And, you know, we laid out Neil. He's been out for a year, but he's won all five of his UFC fights, won the Dana White Contender Series opportunity before that, wins over Bilal Muhammad, Nico Price, and Mike Perry, as you mentioned right there. Uh, this is a big breakout opportunity for him, while just the same, a big chance for Wonderboy to remind us that he didn't really go anywhere. Luke, I talked to Wonderboy this week on MK. I had no idea the uh, injuries he had sustained, getting dropped on his head by Chris Weidman during some bro-in-law friendly sparring and then breaking both hands over the past year. He also hasn't fought since late last year. So he's got a lot of questions to answer. He's 37. At some point, you know, he's going to slow here. Uh, he's on a bit of a, of, a, of a bad skid, although he only faces the best. But Wonderboy's resume, Luke. I don't know if we talk about this enough. Sneaky great, bro. I mean, even his recent wins mixed in with the big losses. And the big losses was, you know, he was beating Anthony Pettis for every second and then got knocked out. He lost to Darren Till in a fight that I scored for Wonderboy. And then the other loss was the title loss to Tyron Woodley, which was really close. So it's not like this guy's getting knocked around or, or, or looking bad. Yet his two most recent wins, they hold up great. He's the only guy to beat Vicente Luque during this stretch. And he beat the bags off of Masvidal before the big turnaround. Um, and that's not even accounting the win over Roy McDonald, the knockout of Robert Whitaker. This guy's been the class for a long time, Luke. He believes a win gets him into the top five and maybe one away from a potential title shot. Do you think there's a final chapter? to what the Wonder Boy has done, because I don't think we give him enough credit. He was that close to winning the title at UFC 205 against Tyrone Woodley. Yes, the rematch was much maligned, but can he reinvent himself for one more run, given the Usmans, the Covingtons, and company above him? I don't know. I mean, getting the title at this point to me seems, you know, pipe dream is a strong word, but very, very, very unlikely, right? You're dealing with people who... In the case of Woodley, he could wrestle 
But he had to do it. In, I mean, rest, Woodley's gas tank has always meant that he has to fight in spots, right? He can't just go full bore. Well, guys like Covington and Usman not only are just as good of wrestlers as Tyron, maybe better in MMA anyway, but on top of that, they don't ever have to hit the brakes. They can just go, 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 go. And so that relentless pressure, you just imagine over time, it's going to be very hard to break that unless you can match that kind of uh, wrestling intensity. Now, maybe from a gas tank perspective, he could do that. And the resiliency he showed in the first fight with Woodley, I thought was pretty incredible as well. But we are now several years past that. Look at how much Woodley has fallen off since then. So uh, this fight to me for against Neil, very winnable if he does more than just honorable, pretty impressive to be that competitive at that age, this late in his career. But at the same time, that is beating Jeff Neal as difficult as that may be. That's one thing, but that's not even nearly as difficult, I think, as beating the very top dogs currently in that division. So one, one, one step at a time, BC. Yeah, and there has been some criticism, and you mentioned that this wasn't the, the chosen main event to begin with. There's been some criticism that Wonderboy, coming off a win, would sort of go back in the rankings and fight a Jeff Neal. But all things considered, looking to find anyone to fill these slots, this is a damn good fight, one that matters, one where both fighters have a lot of questions to answer. And uh, I don't know if Jeff Neal is that good, but that little stretch of wins that we mentioned, Luke, I mean, he just looked like a man in there against boys. He looked like somebody that's looking to bust out uh, I don't want to see him working a day job anymore. I want to see him being a full-time welterweight contender. So uh, we'll see what happens in this fight. Love this fight, though. And, Luke, that's just the beginning of, a, of, of almost a pay-per-view card. I mean, this main card is six fights. Five of them I, I, I badly need to see, Luke. What are you feeling about this co-main event? Bantamweights, Jose Aldo looking to snap a, uh, a losing skid that's added up here against a red-hot Marlon Vera fresh off the Sugar, Shane o- Sugar Sean O'Malley. Excuse me. Uh, surprising stoppage win. This is an interesting one. I mean, Aldo is at the possibility here where he could be three fights deep into bantamweight and not have a win at all. He could be 0-3 at bantamweight. And you would say, okay, he didn't look bad. Right, but you'd be like, how did his bantamweight campaign go? In the end, if he loses to Marlon Vera, it did not go well. Now, in the case of the opening fight he had against um, uh, Marlon uh, Marais, you know, you're talking about a guy who was the champion in the weight class. So you lose to him, it's one thing. Then you fought for the actual title in the title bout. Okay, it's another thing. But here, if you lost to Vera, you'd be talking about somebody who may eventually become championship caliber, but to this point has not been competing on that level. That would mark to me the signal, or it'd be the signal for something new, a, a, a level of. Um, you know, decline partly, uh, uh, just, you know, the division moving on without him. He was never really much a part of it, but I just mean the, you know, this division is getting deeper and deeper and tougher and tougher by the day. You know, did you come down to 135 too late? And when you did, what were you really at all capable of doing? Marlon Vera is going to be a great test. And it's funny, you know, if you look at the odds, BC, Aldo is a favorite, but ever so slightly. I mean, I don't. The, the reality from the Jan and the Marais fights is you could argue that he won the Marais fight. Obviously, you could not argue at all that he would have deserved to win the Jan fight. He got stopped with strikes. But the point being is, you know, there were, there were many rounds where he looked pretty good. Um, I have to say, I, I wonder about his age at this point. I wonder about the miles on this one. Like that beating he took in the Jan fight, it wasn't so bad until the end and then it just kept going. Remember a bit of a late, right? Yeah, it was a late stoppage from Leon Roberts there. So this will be an interesting one. If he can beat uh, uh, Chito Vera, 
to me, it's like, dude, you're right back there. You can maybe still make something happen in this division. You lose to Marlin. It's not that Marlin's not a quality opponent, but it'd be something like that Oliveira Ferguson win, where somebody is now taking the slot of, you know, very, very top of that division against somebody who, while, while Aldo never held it exactly at 135, you know, been competing against title contenders and title holders, essentially, for the short duration there. It'd be a bit of a switch. And uh, it'd be a huge moment in the Ecuadorian's career if he could get it done. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, it's not crazy, but it's how we do it here in this game of journalism and stuff. We paint these big, broad narratives on each fight to sort of give it meaning, Luke. And we were just one fight removed from the 34-year-old uh, Aldo, excuse me, um, you know, being on the verge of winning a title in the second division and us writing those stories of how do we recalibrate his legacy if he beats Peter Jan? Does he suddenly go up to the upper table? Well, then he loses in a gutsy <clears throat> performance. But it's another beating on top of the two vicious ones he took against Holloway a few years back for the title. And now you're like, he's lost three in a row and five of seven. Uh, is he going to be a high price cut moving forward for UFC and end up in Bellator? I mean, we're actually in that discussion mode, even though I think Aldo does have plenty of life left if they want to match him in some fun old guy fights and Bantamweight has a lot of names you know from uh, that you can you can match him with but um I want to see here if he can if if Varys for, for real as he's looked and uh you know my colleagues Luke and yours too at CBS Sports uh Brandon Wise and those guys they're like look I'm gonna give Marlon Vera a fight of the year fighter of the year vote if he wins this I know he lost to Song Yedong to open the year but that was a very close decision that could have gone either way then he beats the brakes off of Sean O'Malley. He goes in there against a legend of Jose Aldo. This has been a hell of a year for Marlon Vera. Uh, I think at the very least, though, Luke, this fight certainly offers fireworks. I mean, all, this version of Aldo is going to go down swinging. This ain't the guy who's going to gas out in round five as there's an alien growing out of Mark Hominick's forehead. This old guy, Jose Aldo, comes to bang. So... Does Vera have the firepower to stand up for him to him, or are we going to see Jose dip back into whatever's left and pour it out? Similarly to when we were going to count him out in the Jeremy Stevens fight or the McConnell fight, and he came out guns blazing, Luke. Yeah, there's certainly that as well. Also, remember there are still some people who think maybe Vera got a little lucky against O'Malley. You know, maybe if that fight had gone a little bit different, you'd throw a couple of different kicks that had not landed on the side of the leg on O'Malley in the way that they did that caused the nerve damage, maybe you get pieced up by O'Malley, right? There's still some of that out there, and I don't think that altogether that's the craziest opinion in the world. It's a little bit dismissive. It's, it's unfair, but it's not, it's not, you know, if you fought O'Malley 10 times, how many of those times do you win? And do you win them all like that? You know, I don't think you win them all like that. You might win some other ones, but not like that. So this is a real question that o o Vera gets to answer against a guy like Aldo who, yes, he does have some miles on him. Okay, fair enough. He's not the same guy he was when his prime at 145, but he is still a very tough customer. I mean, Marais barely beat him, and Jan took a long time to get to the point where he was. If Vera can do something like that in 15 minutes, you know, some of those skepticisms or uh, skepticism that, that is lingering since the O'Malley fight, it might go away. So this is a, a great, great... Dude, this, this card, you know what it is? The fights are great, yes, uh, in part because of the style matchup and the stakes, but the matchmakers, you know, not every card they make is necessarily one that is, you know, all, uh, speaks to their ability. This one does. This is great matchmaking. The styles are right. The moments in time for their respective fighters and their careers are right. The stakes are right. You really, really have to like a lot of these contests. 
Well, you know what I like a lot, Luke? This welterweight fight, which follows it. You want to talk about great matchmaking. Uh, circus clown turned possible serious welterweight, Michelle Padeda, going in there against a red, freaking hot, violent, chaos Williams. Luke, uh, this is one of those take a bunch of colors, throw it at the wall, and call it art as it's dripping down. I love this shit, Luke. It's going to be wild. It's going to be high-paced. It's probably going to be violent. I really want to see if if I've been wrong on Michelle Podeta, watching him do backflips off the side of the cage and gas himself out dancing on the way in. He looked so good in his last fight, sort of finally putting it all together. But the way Chaos Williams has been flatlining, folks, uh, he's going to have to be dialed in and ready, meaning Podeta. This is a great fight. You've come a long way on Michelle Pereira, haven't you? You've really turned in from, from foe to friend to maybe now fluffer. You've gone... You've gone pretty far, BC. Well, I tried to get him on MK this week, and I had a time slot secured, Luke. Then a translator fell out, and my Portuguese ah. uh, was limited to just swears, and I didn't want to call him anything, you know, anything derogatory. So uh, you should have just yes, uh, you should have just started the interview and been like, "Ooh, vai morrer." Ooh. <laughs> hey, Luke, are you going to get off with your uh, high and mighty pronunciation, William and Mary education, calling him Pereira right now? Though I don't know if I appreciate that. Isn't it Pereira or some shit like that? Yeah, come on, respect South America, okay? Please. I'll do my best, BC. All right. Uh, Luke, how for real is Chaos Williams? You're a close follower of this game. People love this guy. He may His name may be, you know, hidden a bit by the breakout years we've seen from the likes of uh, Hamzat Chemaev and uh, Kevin Holland. Uh, in a different year, Luke, I feel like we'd be celebrating him a little bit more here entering this fight. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly right now sitting at, what, 10-1. and one. He ran through Abdul Razak Al-Hassan in his last contest. He's beaten some other good fighters as well. And he has gone to decision. In fact, I think his last fight prior to going to the UFC against Jeremy Holloway was one of those. So, you know, it's got, he's got some well-rounded ability. But so far, what he's shown in UFC is this ability for quick, powerful, explosive wins with his, with his punching power, right? So... That's sort of what he has shown. What I'm looking to see is against a credentialed opponent. And Michelle Pereira is sort of that, not exactly. What can you do over the long haul? Especially for a guy as physical as Pereira can be. Right? He's very big, very strong, extremely athletic. Um, you know, what kind of a disciplined game plan can you put together? Not the entire time, but when you need it. Let's say a disciplined attack. Uh, when you need it to get the job done. I, I, this will be an interesting test. I mean, I mostly feel like... They put these two together because they feel like either of them needed a fight and it'd be fun. And reading too much more into it is not the point. Still, you might be able to learn something depending on how it goes. Uh, here's a fight no one's talking about. Bantamweights, Marlon Moraes, Rob Font. I Love know. it, Luke. It, it's just buried on this card. I mean, look, we've seen we've seen some in-and-out fight nights, right? They, they fit in between the pay-per-views. Some loaded and fun. Some are just, we're, we're, we're paying the bills and collecting the checks. Is this a case of the matchmakers owing so many people one more fight to the end of the year, so they're just loading them up here? Could be. Some people might have had COVID, couldn't get ready. It's hard to say. But, dude, Rob Font, I mean, here are his only losses in UFC. John Lineker, who he went the distance with. Pedro Munoz, he got submitted by him, but okay, that was back in 2017. And then he lost a decision to Rafael Sunset. Right, he went the distance. He's only got one loss via a stoppage. Meanwhile, he's got wins over Matt Schnell, Sergio Pettis, Thomas Almeida, Ricky Simone. Dude, Rafon is excellent. He trains with uh, the with uh, Calvin Cater's team, uh, the the uh, Tyson Chartier guys up there in New England. 
He can box. He's got good a good uh, a jab, good range management. Marlon, to me, I mean, here's another crossroads fight, right? It's a guy like Rob Font who's kind of always been knocking on that door of like real elites at bantamweight and just couldn't quite cross it. And now you got a case where Marlon has definitely been that guy, still probably is that guy, but you feel like after the consecutive losses, or I, or I should say the loss to Sanhagen, and what was the other one he had? I forgot. Um, but the point being is you kind of feel Jan, like people... right? Pe- uh, Jan yeah, for the damn title. Uh, no, who did he... No, no, that was Cruz. That was Cruz, yeah. Yeah, hang on. I got I'll, the I'll internet in front of me, Luke. I do it have was, the internet. Uh, hold on, I'll tell you. Marlon has consecutive losses too. Well, not consecutive, but uh, he had the loss to Henry. He got through Aldo by the skin of his teeth, and then he lost to Sandhagen pretty badly. You know, you kind of feel like maybe the guy's been figured out at this point. And, you know, Rob Font fights a disciplined game plan. He understands what he's good at. Like, you know, <laughs> he's tall, rangy. That's a tough fight for either guy here, man. Like, this is what I'm saying. The matchmaking on this one is just really outstanding. And look, Marais has plenty of reason to just let let his hands go here. I mean, you don't want to fall. And th- how deep this division is at the moment, you do not want to fall behind, so to speak, and be uh, suddenly on the prelim cards, Luke, because there's just so many names above you. I mean, friggin' Dillashaw's coming back, okay, bro? This thing's loaded right now, all right? Uh, Luke, this main card opener is always going to be interesting because it's Greg Hardy, the, the heavyweight, who's on a two-fight win streak, trying to make this project work here. Marcin Tybura in front of him, whatever. It's a decent fight. But do you get down at all with the media day comments coming out of Greg Hardy this week where he says a transition to boxing is imminent and he predicts a knockout of Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder? Dude, I'm not and, even I'm and, not even I'm not even gonna play this game. And Anthony Joshua. Look, this ain't the Paul brothers here, bro. You gotta entertain this. Come on. No, no, I don't. And I'm not I'm not even gonna answer the question, BC. It's a silly question and you know it is. If you wanna talk about the fight that he has, which he is a decent chance he'll lose. Uh, I'll talk about that, but I'm not okay, even... Okay, Luke, all right. You, you not, I can't do it, guy? dude. I can't... Dude, this is the problem. MMA media gets out there, and I saw Junkie wrote it up. Maybe other places wrote it up, too. And these are fine sites. I mean, you can't even blame the sites because the way in which sites make money now, and this is what they have to do, they don't make money off of selling ads, and that supports everything uh, the way that it used to, where ad selling was actually distinct from the actual work itself, like classifieds. The two have become essentially merged. And so the better your content does in terms of what kinds of clicks you can get and the more advertising you can sell directly to that page, the better you will do. So what has forced this erosion of standards where you can say something absolutely fucking insane, like I banged Santa Claus's mom and I have it on video, you can put that out there and they will just repeat it because it's really, really good for their bottom line. And by the way, when I say good, I don't mean like they're greedy. I mean like they need that kind of content all year long in order to fucking survive. That's just the reality of it. But that does not mean I have any other editorial obligation because they amplified it to dignify it here. In the case of the Paul brothers, well, one of them actually has an event coming up with Mayweather. Okay, that's a little bit different. There's something a little bit more to that. But in this shit, he's just saying things, and I have to dignify it now? No, I do not. No, I do not. Wow. You're like, mother effer, throw me on a bed full of firearms. All right, all right, Luke, I guess so. Oh, um, Jesus. Yeah. That's, BC, <laughs> wow, BC huh? you really. <laughs> I mean, it's not like I'm bringing up D. Devlin again. You know you're what I mean? Gonna, you're going to get okay, us fired. Right. You're going to get us fired. Please don't get us fired. All right. All right, Luke. Uh, so, yeah, no shortage of storylines. Also, in that prelim main event, Anthony Pettis back against uh, Alex, uh, what's his name? Alex Morono. Luke, Morono. I saw Pettis come out and say, uh, 
I need to be a better manager of my career. He says he was uh, drunk as shit when he accepted the Tony Ferguson fight on last minute notice and really hasn't been a great steward of his career. Luke, do you think we'll look back on uh, Anthony Pettis, all things considered, as a, as a disappointing run from the, the top of the mountain of the Wheaties box and what's happened since? Yeah, I mean, or just that the Wheaties box promotion came too late. I mean, I don't, it wasn't like, dude, finding the guy or the lady that you're going to get behind as a sponsor in MMA, it's hard to do, man. You know, it, like they did it for uh, for uh, Brian Ortega, and then he goes in there and just gets demolished by Max Holloway. What he's not done, you know, he took all that time off and he came back and he gave Korean Zombie a nice beating. So it's like, it's just hard to know, which is why, like, Doing it for the best heavyweight ever, who also, by the way, had a loss during his his run with uh, Modelo. But still, that's a little bit of a safer bet. Or Amanda Nunes, who is basically the safest bet in MMA right now. Like, that's what you have to do. It's just hard. So it's like, you know, did Wheaties absolutely mistime it? Uh, I mean, they're about that, there can be no doubt. Do I blame them necessarily? Like, if you don't know much about MMA, you're looking for the, what appears to be the next big thing based on what everyone's probably... And by the way, you know, what's the UFC telling them that? I mean, here's the thing. Like, I don't know exactly what the genesis of that deal is, but I've had enough conversations with sponsors when I was running a website to know that a lot of them want sort of UFC sign-off on whether or not it's okay to work with this partner or that partner. Like... My hunch is that the UFC had a little bit of a hand in saying, you know, steer your, steer your attention to this direction versus that one. So it's like, do I really blame them? I don't really blame them, dude. Luke, uh, unless you grew up in the 80s, I guess you won't understand what being on the Wheaties box cover meant, even though people still have been on the Wheaties box cover all the way through Anthony Pettis and beyond. Do you remember specifically any boxes you went out of your way to buy? Like, I bought the Larry Bird one when he retired. I bought the Dream Team one. I remember Mary Lou Retton and Sugar Ray uh, Leonard being all over Wheaties boxes when I was, uh, you know, very small. Even though Wheaties is really a, a, a gross and bland cereal. Yeah. I don't know how it's remained popular. Uh, did, like, did you go out of your way to buy the Bruce, the Caitlyn Jenner box, Luke? What, no, what happened no I didn't. Because let me just say, Wheaties sucks ass. It's a <laughs> shitty cereal. It doesn't hold up well in milk. It needs a lot of help with either fruits or, you know, uh, uh, some kind of sweetener or whatever the fuck. Wheaties sucks balls. It is a very, very awful cereal. And so, I mean, can you, know, you throw some, some dried fruit in there, please, Wheaties? Give me something, all right? I know. Like, Raisin Bran is not good for you, like the two scoops of raisins. But at least you got two scoops of raisins. Wheaties was like, yo, you know that mud that's caked on your shoe from walking around outside two days after it snows? <laughs> that's going to be your Wheaties after five seconds of sitting in milk. Man, fuck Wheaties. So, no, yeah. uh, we, we, we were not a pro Wheaties household. Yeah, there goes our sponsorship here on uh, Morning Combat. <laughs> All right, Luke, let's transition to some UFC news that came out this week. Your friend Dana White was talking to TMZ, no, sorry, BT Sport, and he said this about Rose Namajunas, your former women's strawweight champion. What I'm hearing is Rose does not want a title shot, White said. Rose does not want to fight for a title. He went on to say that uh, essentially he's hearing from Rose's camp that She's just not feeling it, Luke. Uh, and we're talking about a Wei Li Zhang fight, which which I think, look, if you're looking at 2021, that's among the best freaking fights you can make in this entire sport. I need to see it. Only here's the problem, Luke. Um, 
Team Nama Yunus is like, bro, what the hell are you talking about? They subsequently came out in an interview directly after, and you had Pat Barry, Nama Yunus's coach and fiance, saying this is absolutely not true. We absolutely want the title fight. Who would turn down a title fight? We just don't want to air this out publicly. If there was some confusion, they can call us to clear it up. Now, here's the maybe a kicker in this, Luke. Part of that BT Sport interview, Dana said, now that Nama Yunus doesn't want it, we're probably going to target former champion Carlo Esparza. Luke, are you connecting the dots and getting the feeling like this is Dana thinking, let's get Weili Zhang, a softer comeback fight that we can promote big in China against a former champion, and then we'll do the Rose one down the line? I mean, I'm trying to get inside the, 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 the mind of a madman here. Well, right, to be fair, we would just be speculating no matter what. But insofar as speculation is concerned, and we're putting that caveat out in front, I don't think that's a bad theory at all, BC. I really don't. Because, first of all, Dana was like, oh, uh, Robert Whitaker doesn't want a title shot. And Robert Whitaker was like, I literally never said that. Like, I didn't even say anything even approximating that. And Rose's camp, it wasn't like they hesitated or came out later and was like, yeah, we don't really want to get into it. They immediately challenged it. They were like, no, that is really not at all true. You guys know how it goes. It's like, oh, we offered you X fight at Y location with Z opponent. And whatever reason you turned it down, which was you don't want to travel or you're not going to be ready by then, or you thought that op opponent was beneath you, whatever. Or maybe you got lowballed, Luke. This is a smart method if you're looking to lowball a fighter. Right? right. Again, the money wasn't right. Whatever the case, if you say no, Dana will turn around and say, oh, they didn't, wa they, they, uh, they didn't want this opportunity. They didn't want to reach for this glory. It wasn't in them right now. That's how they'll frame it versus, well, no, we just didn't like the terms of the deal, not that there weren't parts of it we couldn't necessarily get behind. Now, in fairness to the UFC, yes, I mean, obviously the only fight to make at this point is it with Rose. But if you are trying to mature the Chinese market, BC, to your point, and that fight against Yuan and Jacek was an absolute, I mean, you know, not just good, but the damage they did, Jesus Christ. They went out there and clubbed each other for 25 minutes, giving her a bit of a soft re-entry Dude, that's what they would do in boxing. Like, I'm not even necessarily all that mad at it, to be honest with you. I don't know that I want MMA copying all of boxing, boxing's practices, whether they're best practices or not. But if that's your theory, and I think it's a decent one, could you be all that mad at them for it? You know, you don't have to throw Rose under the bus to get there, and I don't support that. I don't think it's the craziest thing to want to give Zhang Weili a little bit of a softer reintroduction. It's the same thing I always say about these about promoters in general in both combat sports. It's like, if you're going to lie, please do it really well, so I'll accept it. But if not, just tell me the damn truth. Like, just straight up tell me the truth of what you're doing, and then it's easier to accept. Now, look, full disclosure, we're speculating. Maybe Dana got wrong information, whatever. Although we have seen this practice before out of him. That's why we're saying this. But I think it's potentially dangerous when we're talking about an athlete like Rose, Luke, if this is just Dana playing the public headlines fake news game only because if you heard in and I want to ask your immediate reaction when you saw this headline if you hear that about Rose knowing she's had you know mental health challenges in the past and has been very motivated or very unmotivated at various points in her journey to to get the best out of her and you know coming off of this Andrade rematch where she had to walk through hell in that round three 
I was already starting to build the narrative of, you know, I think that reminded her how much she loves fighting and what she can do and she needed that, blah, blah, blah. Yet when you hear a headline of, you know, Rose might not be looking that direction, my first thought is, oh, crap. You know, is she ever going to put it on the tracks and figure out how great she could be for a sustained period? That's why with someone like her, if this is fake news, I think it's damaging fake news. Yeah, I, I, how damaging it is is an open question. I tend to think that um, it's a good question, dude. I really I don't know the answer to that. It, uh, uh, how damaging is it? That's um, there's an open debate to be had about that one. I'd have to think about it more. I think it would be case by case. Sometimes it can be very damaging. Sometimes it just never sticks. So where is this one in that continuum? Hard to say. Um, and if she gets back out there and fights again or ends up getting the title shot, then probably all this is for naught. But yeah, that's a good question, dude. I, I honestly, I, I candidly don't know the. I wonder what you think about it because I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think it, I mean, look, am I being extra sensitive because Rose has been open and been through some things? And maybe am I being extra sensitive because she's a female? I, I, I don't know. I, try, I don't I'd have to examine myself on the on the chair. But I just think it's potentially dangerous to somebody who, you know, has had some uh, highs and lows if this is false and fake news. But a lot of speculation here. It's part of the promotional game. Let's roll on and move forward. But before we do, Luke, do you love that fight anywhere as much as I do? Weili Zhang, Rose Namajunas. I think it is spectacular of a style matchup, and I, I think Rose is trouble for the champ. I really do, Luke. It, I mean, is it the best fight you could make in women's MMA? Damn Probably. right it is. Right? Probably. I mean, you could make a case for Kayla and uh, Amanda Nunes being a potential on that list. I don't think that's crazy. But, like, as a surefire, top of the food chain, one of the best women's fights you can make right now, that's... That's the one. I, can't, I mean, I, I struggle to honestly think of a one that'd be better than that one, at least on paper, ahead of time. Valentina, right? Amanda, three, maybe the only one. Okay, but okay. The, fir- the first two were, the first one wasn't boring, but it was short, and the second one was boring. Like, well, the, it depends I mean? if you have a palette for high level skills, Luke, and, uh, <laughs> and you know, technique. I don't know. Is that, is that what it is? Yeah. Is that what it is? You yeah, got to be a real deep thinker. Pereira. Yeah. Uh, Either way, you could put that on the list, I suppose, certainly for anticipated uh, um, uh, fights, but in terms of just on paper how good it would be, shit, dude, I, I struggle to think of one better. Yeah, I, I am currently rock hard with emotion, like Jake Hager thinking about this fight, Luke. I have a phoner. You're a disgusting, disgusting man. <laughs> All right, all right, Luke. Uh, yeah. Hey, you know what we got this weekend, Luke? We got a big boxing match. The Zone back in the ring. Uh, they got two cards back to back nights. Let's focus on the Saturday one, Alamo Dome in San Antonio, and it's big news because it's the return of your pound for pound king, uh, a global icon, Canelo Alvarez, thirty years old, back for the first time, Luke, in over one year, and back on uh, on big stakes because it's a short term turnaround. It's a dangerous opponent in Callum Smith, and given everything Canelo's been through, getting his promotional and network free agency when we thought he was probably headed to a long term court battle with the Zone and Golden Boy, this has just been a wild turn of events. Not only did he get free. But he went back to the team he just divorced at DAZN who couldn't pay him the guaranteed money and sat down at the negotiation table and got a really good deal and said when I talked to him this week on Morning Combat that it was the biggest and best deal available for right now. So he took it on a one-off. Um, we can talk about that, but we've already been up and down those roads. It's time to talk about the damn fight. Luke, you saw these two stand next to each other. 
seven inches taller from unbeaten Callum Smith from England, the youngest of the fighting Smith brothers, all four of them either world champions or world title contenders. Callum might be the best of the four. Is he good enough, though, to make this a real damn freaking fight on Saturday? Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, it was like that scene where, uh, from, was it Game of Death? I, I think that's the movie. I could be getting it wrong, so please don't dead wrong me. But where Bruce Lee is standing next to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, like, dude, they look like not just two different weight classes. I mean, two different species. Jesus Christ. He's got like an eight-inch reach advantage and a seven-inch height advantage, which is astronomical in boxing. It's a huge jump. And yet... Canelo is favored somewhat considerably uh, to win. So I was thinking about this fight. Like, do I think it'll be an interesting test? I absolutely do. Partly, I think Canelo can take portions of fights off, especially a little bit later. I think he's stronger in the first six rounds than he is in the last six. Again, not always, not every time, but as a general rule, I would stand by that. Um, obviously, you're going to see the jab be a big component. But I also feel like Canelo's going to have a real, eventually, not an easy time, but he's going to be very effective at corralling and sort of smothering, I think, Smith at times. And I'm also expecting big body work. Like one of Canelo's best punches is that left hook to the liver. He's got good setups on it. He's got a good ability to slip and roll. And I think you're going to see him getting inside that distance and just absolutely crushing him. And then and only then, when he can slow him down, corral him, and bring his hands down a little bit, do I really think you're going to see him open up upstairs? And at that point, you know, we're talking about one of the best power punchers, even up to 175 pounds. So um, should be interesting. It is a test for Canelo. But, you know, I, as well as I do, BC, even if it's close, the judges are just going to give him the nod anyway. <laughs> so as long as it's not you know, close, it gives a shit. I mean, I asked Callum Smith about that because you have to ask a Canelo opponent in the modern era. And by the way, I don't say this to take away from Canelo. He's my pound for pound king. I've gone on record so many times and saying this is his era, right? Floyd and, and Manny handed it off to him. He's been a tremendous draw as a pound, as a pay-per-view king. He pretty much always takes on the toughest challenge available. Um, and let's be honest, he's the pound for pound number one because he carries his power up weight classes. He can outbox you. He can walk you down and get you out of there but with all those compliments said luke every single close fight trout laura danny jacobs both golovkin fights canelo has received the benefit of the doubt getting either a draw in the in the case of the first triple g fight or a close decision win and obviously we always point to even the floyd mayweather fight CJ a fight Ross. that every every single person had 12 nothing or 11 to 1 pretty much for floyd C.J. Ross gave Canelo six freaking rounds. So I did ask Callum, say, look, dude, do you have to finish this guy? And, you know, he gave a very, <sighs> I mean, he gave a response, Luke, that, that I don't want to hear, but I get it. He's like, I would say yes if I was somebody else. If I was watching somebody else fight Canelo, I would say, yes, you need a knockout. But he goes, I believe in my craft. I believe that the statement I'm going to make in the ring is going to be good enough and the judges are going to believe it. Sorry, sorry, Callum Smith, without a couple knockdowns, I mean, you're just not going to do that. So let's talk realistically. And I think the realistic path, if you're going to be a Callum Smith backer for a big upset, is can he get him out of there? He's a good puncher, Callum Smith, Luke. Not a great puncher. But I think he's way tougher than a Rocky Fielding who Canelo walked through and folded well, up. Well, I mean, no, by come the way, on. You know what that was. I mean, that well, was... Well, I was going to say... Oh, by the way, Callum Smith also knocked out Rocky Fielding quicker and and before Canelo ever did. He knocked him out in one round. But 
Um, I think Callum Smith has potential because of the size difference and the fact that he's never lost. He's young, hungry, decently athletic, has, like I said, decent power. He's going to be a tough out. Canelo's going to have to work for a while to get inside. You want a comparison? Look at Canelo against Sergey Kovalev, right? Beautiful knockout late. But until we got there, Kovalev was boxing with his longer range from distance and really having a pretty good time at it, keeping Canelo away until Canelo figured out how to get inside and, and, and get to his chin. I feel like this fight may end up playing out that same way. And I think if you're Callum Smith and you don't think that at some form, at some point, I've got to gain respect. I've got to draw a line in front of me. I've got to make Canelo pay if he comes forward. I think you have to be thinking I need a knockout, Luke, because not only has history told you you can't get a win by decision over Canelo, but if he doesn't do all the things I just said, if he doesn't land significant right hands early to, to make Canelo not come forward and get inside on him, the jab's not going to be effective. He's not going to have a chance anyway. So if I'm Team Callum here, Luke, the odds are against me. I might look at this as I got to get him into a bit of a brawl. I mean, look, but I got to do it from the outside. I've got to be active and aggressive. I cannot box this man. I have to treat him like the smaller fighter. Will that, will that strategy get him knocked out if he employed it, Luke? Or, or, or are you just going to try to no. finish and hope you get the, the score? You're not going to get the scorecards. Yeah, I don't brawl at all. No, you're going to get knocked the fuck out brawling. Uh-uh. I wouldn't do that, to be candid with you. I think I think you just have to sort of see if you can get it done working behind the jab. But, you know, here's the thing. Not so much backing up. I think you have to pressure Canelo a little bit. So brawling, no. Pressuring, yes. I do think you have to do that. Because if you're sitting behind the jab and he's walking you down and then he lands even one to your two, right? I don't mean the punch as in jab and cross, but I mean he'll eat uh, two shots to land his one. Just the optics of it, you know, especially if it's a smaller guy, they're gonna make that count more. So, no, you need to be you need to be a bit of a bully in there behind that jab. So, we'll see if he can do it. The question for you, BC, is not what do you think is next if he wins? Because I know Triple G has a fight coming up. We'll talk about that in just a second. Forget all that for just a moment. Let's imagine a world where he wins. What fight do you want to see next? Not what you think boxing wants to see, not what you think is important for boxing, not what the promoters can make. Forget all that. You are king of boxing for a day, the day of, let's say, this coming Sunday, and you get to decide what is next for Canelo Alvarez following a victory. What is your Christmas list number one sitting on Santa Claus's lap go-to? Well, I'll tell you what, it's certainly not Arthur Better be for anybody at light heavyweight. I think he can compete at light heavyweight as a smaller guy with a big punch like he did against Kovalev if he needs to, but I don't see that as realistic. Also, Luke, I don't think he wants to make 160 anymore. You know, I talked to him on Morning Combat this week. He said, my 2021 plans are to stay at 68 and unify titles. So the whole idea of, of what could be next for him... I think it's more likely a PBC turn rather than, I mean, like he, he's going to entertain offers from DAZN. It, it, he, people want him to fight Triple G a third time. Danny Jacobs still around, but I don't think that's anything that expands his brand or his legacy or his legend. There are some fun ass names under the PBC banner at 168 that either have titles or have had. Luke, a Caleb Plant fight that was almost made for this December because Canelo wanted it. That's a big pay-per-view, I believe. I mean, Caleb Plant can box. He's marketable. I kind of really like that fight, Luke. That's a style I kind of want to see against him. Somebody who's quicker than him, who can box. 
And I want to see him against David Benavides, who had the WBC title, got stripped of it when he missed this, uh, uh, the, the weight on the scales for that Showtime fight we saw, Luke. And now that title is actually not only put vacant, but Canelo will be competing for it along with Callum Smith's full WBA title. So what do I want, Luke? I want him to go to PBC. I want him to fight Caleb Plant and David Benavides in 2021. And I want to start kind of banging the drum for Canelo versus Jamal Charlo. You hate me for that? No, I like. I'll give you my wish list, and you're gonna say I'm crazy. This is just what I want to see. I'm not asking anybody to agree or find wisdom in it. I'm just telling you, like, I, what I would love to see. <laughs> Baturbiev versus Canelo would be my number one for the, all the reasons you said you would not want to see it. That's why I do want to see it. But okay, right after that, Charlo uh, is the one that I have my eye on. I, I'm okay with a third Triple G fight if that's where they end up going. I don't think it's any kind of scandal at all. Uh, it'd be fine. Caleb Plant, I could take it or leave it. You're the world's biggest Caleb Plant fan I've ever seen in my life. I don't find that fight particularly interesting. Uh, maybe competitive, but not that interesting. To me, me it's like... Jordan Hardy, big Caleb Plant fans, yes. Yeah, well, it's like, I'm not saying he has the same style as Danny Jacobs, but you'd get the same satisfaction that you got out of Canelo versus Danny Jacobs, which is to say not that much. It so, was a close-ass fight, Luke. I scored it a draw live, all right? I understand. I it was that. close. And I, I think two of the judges had a 115-113. It was very, very close. But in the end, was that like a thrilling contest? Like, fuck no, it wasn't thrilling. So so I'm not there on that one. But So though my top three would be Baterbiev, Charlo. Uh, the Benavidez one is interesting. I like that as well. And then Triple G. All right. All right. I love that. And by the way, um, I think the Callum Smith odds and in, in the general feeling, Luke, like he's got a chance, but Canelo should beat him, comes off the fact that Callum Smith's last fight, a title defense against uh, Great Britain's John Ryder, he looked flat. He got a disputed decision. A lot of people thought Ryder outworked him. So it's, you know, it's a lot of what have you done for me lately. You know, this isn't this wasn't the same Callum Smith that walked through George Groves or, or, or Hassan Endom a couple years back. So Also he uh, took it know, he took it on short notice, too. Yeah, but he had stayed in the gym knowing something big could happen. So kudos to him for that. His brother, Liam Beefy Smith, got sent to hell by Canelo four years ago by a via body shot. Uh, Rocky Fielding got folded in half. And Luke, ultimately my prediction is Canelo gets to that body. I think it's going to take, though, into rounds 10, 11 to do it. And I think he stops Callum Smith just the same. Um, Canelo always going big, though. Big fan of Big Red. So uh, shout out to that ginger. All right, Luke. Let's keep the train moving. Thursday night, the night before, on his own. Friday. Friday. I'm sorry. Friday night. Thursday was last night, Luke. Yeah, all right. Hey, tonight, Luke. Tonight. (laughs) Hard Rock Seminole in Florida. It is Gennady Golovkin putting his uh, WB... Uh, no, IBF. IBO, IBF. IBF. Yeah, the IBO is BS. Uh, the IBF middleweight championship on the line against a Polish mandatory contender, uh, Camille Zarameta. Zer- 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 uh, Sharameta, uh, yeah. Scaramouche, Scaramouche, can you do the Fandango? So, Luke, here's the deal. No one wants this fight. I uh, Scaramouche is unbeaten, but he has no knockout power. And this is one of those circumstances where you look at his record and you go, how the hell did he ever get ranked number one by an alphabet body? He hasn't beaten anybody. And here's why I... So given the pandemic, I don't hate this fight because for all these boxers, they're just trying to get back in there. Given the him fighting one night before Canelo, could they be setting up a time schedule for a trilogy? I don't hate it for that reason either. And I have to believe, you know, DAZN is hoping there's a chance that can happen. Even though, Luke, I don't know if you heard rumors that Triple G Jaime Munguia could be next if, if Golovkin wins Wait. on Friday. I know, I know 
that would get your panties all kinds of uh, drippity drop there. But uh, here was my Remember point, when though. I never said he was a better power puncher than Deontay Wilder, but people don't have well, listening comprehension skills and thought that I did? We can't prove that anymore because Joe Rogan took your show off no. of YouTube and it's gone He didn't take forever. mine. He took everyone from that week. It's like Glenn Greenwald no, he, has gone to. It's on Spotify. It the whole thing is there. Don't be a hoe. He heard your co-host talk about his height, and he's like, F this guy. All right, look, so back to this. Um, <laughs> this guy, Triple G, here's the deal. Look, nobody wanted a trilogy against Canelo more than Triple G. They hate each other. They always go back and forth. The, the, the root of their beef is that when Canelo had the tainted beef and they had to postpone their 2018 rematch because of his failed drug test. Triple G went off saying, I knew he was a drug cheater. I've seen the the uh, injection marks on his body up close, blah, blah, blah. Canelo, he don't like that. But here's the problem with Triple G. 2019, as Canelo told me this week on MK, he was actually trying to make that fight. In fact, do you remember they came out and said, you know, for t- fall of 2020, right now, we're going to see that trilogy. You know what happened, Luke? Triple G said... Only if I can fight this guy's Shredma first, scrap metal, because I promised I would. We don't want your freaking promises, Triple G, okay? I love you, Gennady Golovkin. I'm hoping you run through this guy, even though you had a very tough test last time out against Sergei Durovinchenko and a fight of the year candidate the last time we saw uh, Triple G there. But Luke, um, this fight sucks. This fight sucks. This fight blows. I thought Derevyanchenko beat him. I did not think he beat Charlo. I thought Charlo won, won not handily, but uh, it was clear that he won by the end. But I thought Derevyanchenko beat him. I know that's debatable. It's not so clear that that's there. You can't argue the other way. Fine, fair enough. But we were just talking about this with the Zhang Weili and Asparza fight now, and for different reasons. Um, but it, the Der- well, the Derevyanchenko fight was tough. But this is the point, uh, BC, is that Triple G's thirty eight. I mean, he looked to be on this. Do you see him on the scales? My man looked he's ripped, shredded. Bro. Shredded, yes. Super good shape. So I'm not saying he's not prepared as, in terms of what he can do to get ready. I'm, I'm certain that he is. Um, but I got to tell you, he's getting an easy opponent here, whatever, mandatory, blah, blah, blah. But the point being is, he's probably going to knock this guy the fuck out, and he's probably going to knock him out early, you know, within six, let's say. That's just going to do wonders for setting up a Canelo rematch. On the other hand, or I should say trilogy. On the other hand, BC, if he looks like ass here against the guy that the better version of himself, you know, let's say five years ago, I mean, he would annihilate this fucking guy. So if he doesn't do that here, then his hopes of getting the trilogy are out the window. And you're talking about maybe Canelo Charlo, Canelo Benavidez, Canelo Caleb Plant or Caleb Truax or Billy Joe Saunders or whatever the fuck. So this is a big fight for Triple G, not in what it means for his legacy, but what it means for a big payday, a final big chapter down the line. Look, let me read you the quote, uh, and you can hear this, of course, on the interview I did with Canelo Alvarez this week, but I asked Canelo, like, bro, we know you hate Triple G, yet he's fighting the night before you. It feels like you're setting up a trilogy. Like, what do you think about this? Canelo says, quote, that's strange that he had to wait for Canelo to announce for him to do that. It has to be difficult to shadow Canelo. Very difficult for him. We had serious conversations in 2019, but unfortunately, because of the pandemic, the trilogy fight didn't happen, end quote. Uh, first of all, I love Canelo using third person there, and uh, Brian Campbell T-O. loves the, that Canelo talked about Canelo like that when he was talking to Brian Campbell, but uh, uh, that's a nice way 
Because Canelo really doesn't say anything bad about anybody. That's about as, as, as dark yellow piss you're going to get out of Canelo out talking about somebody. So I respect game on that regard. Um, but, you know, as always, we talk about Triple G's age. One of the rare things you can say negatively about Canelo, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. He waited Triple G out two years. You're damn right he freaking waited him out. Then they had two all-action classics. Canelo was lucky to get out of both without a loss. And now I think he feels like, yeah, whatever, I don't care. Um, If we're going to see a third one, Luke, let's just do it next. Because let's not wait until Triple G has another fight in which he's diminished and gets into a brawl and shouldn't be in one, blah, blah, blah. If he's going to get into a brawl and empty out what's left, Luke, do it against Canelo, not against Derevinchenko. You know what I'm saying? Yes, agreed. Yeah, I mean, there's listen, there's plenty of reasons for optimism for a third one. You're right. Talking about himself in the third person, like he's T.O., you know, doing his whole bit, that is kind of amazing. Um, but I don't know. You know, let's just see what happens tonight. I'll be on CBS Sports HQ after it's over while you're on a bird going on flyover country, and then we'll have something to say about it on uh, Monday. Absolutely. Uh, busy weekend. And also on this busy weekend, Saturday night, Showtime Boxing back, Luke. Special edition, a triple header from the Mohegan Dome there in uh, COVID-friendly uh, Connecticut there. So, Luke, it's a new main event. Originally, this was Nonito Donaire, the, the Filipino legend, challenging Nordin Ubali for his 118-pound title. Uh, that fight fell off when Ubali got COVID. Ubali was made the champion in recess and the title was put on the line, but then Nonino Donaire also pulled out for COVID. So Luke, Donaire's second opponent, Emmanuel Rodriguez, will hold this main event. He's a former world champion at 118 pounds, and he's going to fight for that interim WBC bantamweight title against Manny Pacquiao protege, Raymar Gabayo. Here's what's interesting. Gabayo, 24 years old, Luke, 23-0 with 20 KOs, but has not stepped up to this level yet. Uh, I want to see what the kid can do here because Rodriguez is experienced. His only loss was against the, the great monster, Nayoa Inoue, in 2019. He's got a split decision win over Jason Maloney before that. He can box. He's tough. Uh, I want to see what Gabayo has. I'm very understudied on him because he's kind of come out of nowhere, but he's being given the opportunity of a lifetime here. Uh, all too true, but I got to tell you, dude, for me, not to sell you short on this one, but I... For, I'll just be honest about it. All of my attention is on Jerron Ennis. Uh, boots, as they call him. Uh, he, to me, what would you say, BC? Maybe not boxing's best prospect, but in the running for it, in the conversation, yeah. somewhere he's along Philly there. He's really tough, and he's also dynamic in the ring. Yes. Super dynamic. I mean, he, he also he has this style where it's not continuous. Um, he's, he reminds me of Adesanya a bit where he'll take his time, he'll read, he's moving, blah, 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 and he'll throw, and everything he throws is dangerous because it is so well calculated, so well timed, and, and he's also pretty athletic, obviously, on top of it. And then he'll take his time back, switch angles, and go through it again. He's not out there, you know, like Derevyanchenko, who's just in your face grinding on you all the time. Uh, it's it's quite the opposite. It's much more take my time with it and then find it. He's got flair for the dramatic. He's young. He's interesting. I don't know how far he's going to take what he's got, but what he has, at least on tape, we talk about it all the time on this show, BC. Some fighters jump off the screen, whether it's kickboxing, boxing, or MMA. This dude jumps off the screen. He has a big opportunity in front of him, um, and I am very curious to see what he can do with it. Yeah, so Boots Ennis has, uh, every time he stepped up in class, 
he's looked even better. And that that's a true testament to, to how good he really is, Luke, that the more you challenge him, the better he gets. This is his toughest test to date in terms of a guy with experience in Chris Van Eerden. He's a 28-2-1 with 12 knockouts. You probably know him, uh, his his only or his last major loss came against Errol Spence Jr. by knockout in 2015, but Van Eerden's won five straight since then. And Luke, you may remember this South African boxer because he was yep. the guy who gave Conor McGregor the sp- the sparring rounds before Paulie Malignaggi did. So everybody was interviewing Van Eerden. How did Conor look? Is he legit? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, Van Eerden's a tough out, meaning he's durable. He can box a little bit. He's a tough southpaw there. I'm interested, as you are, to really see what Boots has here because if he destroys Van Eerden at the level he's been able to blow through other guys and look great doing it, uh, we're we're, we're going to start having different conversations. So I know you just basically said this is the people's main event. You don't care about them bantamweights. I care about both. Also, not a bad opener here for last-minute changes. One of Gary Russell's brothers, Gary Antonio Russell, I think is just going by Antonio these days. Just to to, to put it out there, every single one of Gary Russell's brother has the first name Gary, just like George Foreman's sons. But uh, Antonio Russell will face former world champion Juan Carlos Payano, who had that really strong performance on the undercard of the Charlo Bros a couple months back. So that's a 10-round fight to kick it off. Showtime. Uh, keeping the chains moving here. Look, look, you got to do what you got to do, right? People are going to fall out due to COVID. In fact, Luke, you and I, we're we're probably three bad COVID tests from our colleagues away from calling this fight this weekend. So stay ready, Luke. You know what? Stay stay in uh, the gymnasium, which is where I'm going to go after this show. I'm going to go back to the gymnasium, get work off these COVID LBs. Which means I'll be in my front yard if any homeless folk are ready. Any, <laughs> no, no, I'm actually going to the gym, okay? gym. But uh, it's too cold. Luke, but yeah. so I would think you're smarter than that because you are, you know, Dr. Luke Fauci is very safe in these Well, I'm so glad times. you brought that up, BC, because it turns out that the D.C. government has released data, which anyone can look at. It is now public, trying to figure out where people are getting COVID. Do you know how many people who get COVID in this city get it from the gym? Did you look at the data? Because I looked at the data. Did you see what it showed? Luke, you, you can tell right? your data yes. to less shut than one, the hell Less than up, 1% right? get it from the gym. And the reason wow, why... look at this! Right-wing Luke Thomas is here. I love it's this. Not, yes. It's not right-wing. It's science. The idea is... People are like, oh, you're in favor of lockdowns. No, I'm in favor of lockdowns if you pay the businesses to stay locked down. That's what I'm in favor of. In the case of the gym, although there's, there is one stupid rule here. You can't have gym classes, which I don't quite understand because you have a mask on the whole time. They make you wear a mask at all times. The gym is limited to 21 people at any given time, and you have to wipe down your equipment before and after you use it. They actually give you stuff to do that with. You have to do it. Um, so you have to, like, temperature check. You have to sign in. You have to sign out. So every time I've gone, I've only been a handful of times, there's literally three people in the entire gym, and everyone has a mask on. It's actually the best time to go to the gym, and the data is pretty clear. Under those conditions, BC, under those conditions, your chances of getting COVID are extremely low. So that is an educated risk worth taking. You irresponsible bastard. Oh, fuck you. It's so responsible, bitch. I don't want to hear it. Fuck you. Go eat those eggs. Go eat those eggs, cool hand Luke. I hope that homeless guy blows in your face as you're trying to get the rack up in the front yard and and, and then makes out with you and passes you the vid. All but right, Jose, Luke, don't yeah, you let's... find that good news? If you keep a mask on at the fucking gym, I don't know how much wiping all the shit down does because that seems to me like hygiene theater. 
But at a bare minimum, you know, and then, by the way, all the all the gyms had to replace their ventilation systems to catch the uh, the filters that can kill the virus when it goes through. So there's also that on top of it. But dude, don't you find that encouraging that the gyms less than one percent of cases are contributing to COVID? Like that, you should people should be celebrating that. I just wanted to end, Luke. Please. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the the longer we have COVID, the more the more these are in my life, Luke. I can't do this anymore. Okay, please. All right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Hey, uh, Luke. You know, you may find out in the end that you were dead wrong for uh, working out in a gym during COVID, but it wouldn't be the only L's you take this week, Luke. Here's All right. Everyone's favorite segment and your least one. It's called. Dead wrong. I don't mind it if they get it if they're right and I'm wrong. What I mind is the 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 poor research that has shown it. Actually, time Luke, to time. You're, you're gonna love this one because they're mostly all at me for my sloppy <laughs> ass, Luke. Uh, when mentioning uh, Australian croc uh, hero Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter, and mentioning his tragic death a few years back, I did. Uh, I did. Give the the death count uh, a plus one for a croc for eating him. Luke, it turns out all of our Down Under fans and the the lovers of Steve Irwin and his legacy came at me hard. And they said, bro, put some respect on that dead man's name. He got killed by a stingray. He got stung in the chest or some shit, right? And then they took him to the hospital and he died there. I'm dead wrong and Steve Irwin's dead. And that's that's where it's at, Luke. I'm sorry. I loved him too. Okay, I'm sorry, but I'm dead wrong. It was a stingray, not a croc. Luke, is his daughter Bindi Irwin sneaky at all, or are we are we just moving on? Is she a teenager? Because if so, I'm not even going to come close to answering that question. Uh, I, I don't know that shit. Come on, come on. All right, all right. <laughs> Luke, also dead wrong this week. You and I, after I impromptu asked you who you believe are the best female practitioners of wrestling inside oh, the yes. USC cage. We did get this one wrong, yep. We both left off the uh, longtime strawweight contender but yep. hasn't fought in seemingly a decade, Tatiana Suarez, who, yes, is a badass, is a great wrestler. The problem is, Luke, I just want to see her in the cage against somebody with a pulse. Like, I, I can't take it anymore, Luke. Yes, that is true. We fucked that up. And people were hitting me up on Twitter, like, how could you forget I follow her on Instagram. I've interviewed her a number of times. She's nice. She's personable. But BC, you know this as well as I do. She's been absent ever since that win over the, uh, who was the partner of uh, Amanda Nunes? Um, Nina Ansarov. Nina Ansarov. After the, the, and it was a close fight against Nina Ansarov where she re-aggravated existing injuries that she had previously had. She has not fought. And so I, I, I'll be honest. I, they, the, the, the viewers are right. We are wrong. I completely forgot that she was not not that she was good, but that she was part of the roster for crying out loud. It just completely slipped my mind. So that's a good correction. See, that's a good correction. Oh wow, okay. All right, Luke. That that's a man with integrity. All right. Uh Luke, also I taken another L this week. I was dead wrong when talking about Tony Ferguson's incomparable ability to heal, mentioning that nasty knee injury he suffered in the Fox studio trying to hype up UFC 223 in 2018. I said he returned in four months in a fight that I don't even still think he should have taken. But, Luke, it was six months when he came back. What was it? It was Cowboy Cerrone he fought, correct, when he came back? Um, or was it Pettis? It was one of the two. When Tony came back after his big-ass time off, it was Pettis. Okay, so the whole point of that was I, I argued that he was taking a massive chance for risking a, a Habib fight that he had already secured multiple times. But, Luke, he came back in, in short form. It wasn't four months. It was six months. I was dead wrong. But just the same, uh, 
the guy's a, a maniac. And Luke, I, I know you saw that video he put out. Uh, he was kind of doing his own dissected in that video, Luke. What were your thoughts? What, does it make Tony crazy, or does it make him I seem mean, like he knows what he's talking about? Here's the thing. It's like, dude, if what you enjoy about Tony is his sort of stream of consciousness bravado, right, then why are you going to take it literally when he's on the other end of a, of a, of a, of a fight, which is to say you know, he's out there winning and he does this bravado stuff. Everybody loves it. Well, he's still doing that just from the losing side of things. Like, you know, do I take a lot of issue with the claim that he had Charles Oliveira broken after one round. Yeah. I mean, that obviously is not a defensible situation, but at the same time, it's kind of Tony being Tony. And I, I, I do think I said this to you on, on Wednesday show, BC, if you kind of look at the tape, don't get me wrong. Oliveira was in total positional command on the ground in all three rounds and the, and 1140 of the fight of a 15 minute fight was spent on the ground. So that's, that's a lot of domination. But in terms of like how close Oliveira got to a sub or even like any real ground and pound in the second and especially the third round, it fell off a cliff. So he was positionally way outgunned, no, no doubt about it. But he actually did a pretty good job of keeping himself safe from the worst parts of the ground elements of Oliveira's attacks. And I do think that should I mean, also be noted. It should, but he was basically painting like a moral victory in those videos. Like, look, don't you see in round three, I was preventing him from doing this and that. You were also preventing yourself from winning. So I don't get yeah. the, I'm going to pound my chest. And, you know, you lost a one-sided fight. And, and, okay, you won this little this little battle within it. But you still lost the damn fight and you and you weren't coming on. So, if, you I mean, know, but dude, here's the thing. And this, on, is, this yeah. is the problem with all fighters. And you know this in boxing, too. The delusion that compels them and, and moves them to greatness, because part of it is delusion. Yes, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a belief in self, but often before you have a reason to be that self-confident, that's the thing that, that moves them forward. It's a hard thing to reconcile when things start to go bad. Um, whether you want to call it the end or not, it's just not a good moment in his career. Right, Two losses in a row. Wrestling with something that you have used as an engine for success that's a hard thing to let go of. So I, you know, is the claims he's making all that defensible? Well, no, but I'm not really going to beat him up over it just just yet. All right. I almost accidentally uh, did a nice uh, impersonation there. Remember that guy from the UFC early days, the Canadian Harold Howard, who would yes. fight in a wife beater? And yeah. he had that great sound bite where he had the glasses on. He's like, I'm Harold Howard from Canada, and we got a saying where I'm from. If you're going to come on, then come on. Yeah, that's the slogan of this show, Luke, okay? If you're going to come on, come on. Could you turn in your two weeks after the show? <laughs> I think they're just going to just they're just going to yank me right off, Luke. They're going to they're just going to walk in the hotel room, remove the microphone. Uh wow. All right, one more dead wrong, Luke. It's another L for me. Look, uh nobody loves the Kimbo Slice Sean Gannon warehouse fight. More than I do, Luke. I remember watching that shit right after it got posted to YouTube. I feel like I was watching, like, fight porn, basically. Um, Sean Gannon, an ex-Boston cop, had a Golden Gloves background, had a, uh, had a martial arts background, and he fought Kimbo Slice at peak backyard Kimbo for big-time money. The dead wrong in this case, though, Luke, was the location. I don't, we don't have the, the, the viewer who wrote this in, but they sent in a letter here saying, uh, the beige one said that Kimbo versus Gannon was in some underground location of Miami. It was actually at Santos BJJ and MMA in Providence, Rhode Island. Disappointed in BBBC, 
only one state away from him. Very true, Luke. Did not realize I could have seen that fight in person. Luke, how, um, do you remember the first time you saw that? It was like stunning that A, Kimbo Slice could lose because he was building this, you know, impressive run, but B, dude, he, Sean Gannon won that fight, but Gannon's face afterwards looked like a car ran over it. That was some brutal shit. They were exhausted as balls brawling for like 25 minutes. So I actually know the guy, some of the guys who were there, because um, I, I briefly, briefly worked at uh, what was uh, it's, it was MMA.TV at the time at MixedMartialArts.com, and some of the guys who uh, I think still run that site, but certainly did at the time, one or two of them were there, and they told me that Gannon was never the same after that as a person, like his mind never quite got right uh, after that fight, and you can well imagine, dude, that was Jesus, man. <laughs> as far as street fights go. Um, they don't come much more brutal than that, you know. I mean, I, I mean, they do come more brutal, right? When people get stomped on. But what I mean is, between two, what would you say, Kimbo, Sean Gannon, well matched, right? Well matched. Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, Gannon, a big southpaw. He had he had all kinds of experience in different categories. And, what uh, I mean yeah. to say is, he could take a shot. He could. He was you know good enough to like fire a few back. And Kimbo was beating the shit out of him until Kimbo just gassed, and uh, Sean Gannon then eventually just put it on him, but. Everyone told me that Gannon was, he never really recovered from that. His face was hamburger. Uh, he got, he had actually, it lifted him to a UFC opportunity, Luke. Uh, and then he, and then he got double that. fucked up by, what was his name? Uh, Brandon Lee Hinkle. Brendan Lee Hinkle beat the bags off of him. Gannon had some really <laughs> weird tattoos on his shoulders and he never fought again. And the person who sent this in uh, is, you know, relaying some of the, the, the facts from this, Luke, that, uh, Gannon is still in a legal battle today with the Boston Police Department because yes. they wanted to fire him when that fight lingered out. Look, I always thought that Elite XC, UFC, and even uh, Bellator dropped the ball and never getting these two in the cage with the given storyline here. You, you agree with me? Yeah, I do agree with you. That would have been a huge... I mean, the rematch would have been enormous. But you know what, Kimbo? I mean... Kimbo had some L's along the way. Kimbo had some W's, bro. Let's not forget that. Kimbo had some, you know, beating the fuck out of Ray Mercer at Cage Fury was a big one. Especially after Ray Mercer had already knocked out Tim Sylvia. Oh, fucking Lord. Do you remember that day? Remember the day when you yeah. were like, because it was supposed to be an MMA fight, and then it was supposed to have all these rules, and they had to change them all last minute, and they had to go from like a cage to a ring or whatever the fuck. It was whatever the changes were. There's a million changes. And then Tim Sylvia comes out like a giraffe just born. And Ray Mercer's like, look, man, I'm old as fuck, but I still throw them hammers. And knocked him out with one fucking shot. And it was all she wrote. And you were like, oh, God, Tim, we've been telling the whole world that you were a good MMA fighter. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah, that yeah, was great. That was, that was great. That was really, really bad. Uh, I do remember, though. Uh, getting stupidly excited for Kimbo Ray Mercer. It was in what, New Jersey? It was yes. on like a grainy pay-per-view and uh, it was modified rules MMA, but you know, shout out to Kimbo. He, he took him right down and, and made quick work of that with the choke. But I think and also, dude, um, when, he, when Kimbo fought Tank, on that was what, Showtime he fought him on, I think? It may have been CBS, one of the two. It was, it was huge ratings regardless. Freaking huge. Kimbo, Kimbo had some I mean, W's, the, bro. I mean, dude, how unlikely is it for a guy who was like a strip club bodyguard or porn star bodyguard, whatever, to then have the backyard thing and then be somehow allowed on CBS in prime time and do like five, six million viewers, Luke. Like, he did stupid numbers. Like, like 
Dude, I don't, you know, you, you could have put Prime Anderson Silva on national television back then. Who would have done more? Kimbo was like a, it was a phenomenon. And even even at the end of his run, bro, even against Shamrock and Dada 5000, he was pulling 3 million people on, what was it, still Spike at the time. I mean, three yeah. or Paramount, whatever the fuck. He was pulling 3 million people. Like, dude, they, they were doing ratings up until recently, like, you know, 300,000. Or some shit, maybe even less at times. I mean, you just can't overstate. People loved Kimbo Slice. People were Dude, very attached came, to what he what he was. So I worked at ESPN for twelve years, and when a celebrity would come to campus, which was like every other day, right? There'd be a monster celebrity there, and you can always gauge how much this person had crossed over by the the buzz around campus, right? You know, like for example. The, the most buzz I've ever seen, and we've seen every famous person come through there, was the freaking guy with the abs from the Jersey Shore. When the situation came, it was like lines out the cafeteria door for women to see him. But the second biggest buzz I've ever seen, and this is including like Snoop Dogg, Will Ferrell. I mean, everyone's come to ESPN. Dude, when Kimbo Slice came to ESPN for MMA Live back in like 2010 or whatever... The, the amount of people that wanted pictures, the buzz was absurd. And here's really the greatest legacy to Kimbo the person. Every single person had a story about him being the nicest guy ever, yep. despite being so intimidating. And every fighter you talk to, Luke, who have been with him on The Ultimate Fighter or, or knew him or whatever, they say the same damn thing. Like, salt of the earth, great person. So shout out to Kimbo for that regard, Luke. Yeah, man. I, 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 I didn't never hung out with Kimbo, but I interviewed him uh, probably a handful of times. And you always got the sense that all he really wanted to do was just chill, you know. I mean, if he had to throw hands to make money, hey, it was it was go time. But I met his, I did, you, I met his daughter. I met his wife. Let me explain something to you. If you saw Kimbo Slice's daughter and his wife at the grocery store, you would think they're the most ordinary Americans. Nothing stood out about him in terms of being, you know, because Kimbo was this outrageous, larger than life personality, dude. His family was, and I say this as a compliment, the most normal down-to-earth people ever, ever. His daughter could not, I don't know how old she is now, but she was, uh, she was, I think, a preteen at the time, so let's say 10 or 11 or something. Sweet, very friendly. His wife, super friendly. I mean, these, these are people who, I'm, I'm, I'm being truthful, these would be your neighbors, you know? I, 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 at the end of the day, I, I don't know how much Kimbo loved fighting. I think he liked it a little bit, especially when he won. I'm sure he loved the paychecks. But at the end of the day, that dude wanted to be in the backyard Probably with a beer or a, a blunt in his hand, telling stories, cracking jokes, having fun with the fam, and, you know, playing a couple of games with the kids. I really think that's who he was at heart, especially at the time when I interviewed him at that stage of his life. Uh, it's a shame he didn't get more of it, but, um, you yeah. know, we got, we got, we... yeah, he had some W's, goddammit. And can we close this Kimbo Slice Appreciation Hour by saying, pioneer in chest hair design. Look, I never even <laughs> thought of these things. Remember he had one chest fully covered with hair, the other shaven, then he had the spider web design, then he had the under cleavage with like shapes and stuff. I, I love that man for that. Luke, do you feel that we were robbed in the Ultimate Fighter that we never got Kimbo versus Big Brown? Yeah, a little bit. I know you love to throw shots at Brendan despite him being a Showtime brother, so that's fine. But don't forget, there was also another hair... Uh, chest hair aficionado in the UFC around the same time, a little bit later. Uh, Brian Ebersol. Remember Brian Ebersol? Yes. yes. Uh, the American who uh, came out of Thailand. He would have the harrow that would point up on his chest. So there, it, it, Kimbo was not alone. He may have been the pioneer, but he was not alone. Luke, do you have a, a large arrow down on, uh, do, down, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, do the curtains match the drapes, uh, the carpeting look? Uh, You're a disgusting, okay. disgusting human, and you deserve All to be right. executed in front of your family. Fridays, there's no pants and there's no rules. But the, hey, Luke, that is the show for this week. We didn't do tips this Friday. We didn't do homework assignments. Uh, I've been traveling. It's wild. But we do have some big plans for you guys. A uh, a pre-taped holiday Christmas edition coming your way. So please continue to get your questions in. If you want them answered, go to Apple Podcasts. Give us a review. Five stars if you're willing. And uh, please leave your question. You leave it, I'll answer it. That's how this works. And, you know, we are trying to plan basically a 100th episode party, Luke. Uh, I think our 100th episode aligns to be airing like January 1st or 2nd, right around there. So, uh, yep. Hopefully, we'll get some big surprises there for the people. And right? uh, BC, the Triple G tonight, Canelo tomorrow, UFC tomorrow. And uh, by the way, the next UFC fight, if I'm not mistaken, BC, after tomorrow is not until January 16th. So that, wow, <laughs> we're going to have a lot of tap dancing to do on this, uh, this year channel. But I'll say this, BC, I'm also getting a tattoo this weekend. So we'll see how that goes. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, aren't you what, on the inside of your bicep, right? Uh, on the inside of my arm, yeah. Okay. That, is that a sensitive area for tattooing, Luke? Uh, I've not had it tattooed, but I'm told that the wrist and then around the elbow uh, is painful. So we'll see. And uh, can you remind me once, once again, Luke, what you're getting? I keep forgetting. So basically what I did was I have wanted a, like a supermoto, which is a Marine Corps way of saying motivational. I've wanted a supermoto Marine Corps tattoo for 20 years, and I didn't get one because, you know, you know everyone's horror stories about what's going to happen if you get a tattoo and blah, blah, blah. What about your career? But I'm 41. I'm pretty well. I'm doing okay in my career. I own a home. I have a kid. I'm married. Uh, I've never been arrested for drunk driving. Hell, I've never even been arrested at all. And even in my line of work, I feel like a lot of people have tattoos in this industry. Like, I'm not going to get any on my neck or hands. So why not? I have, I'm financially stable, so why not? So I reached out to a guy who is a specialist. He has Tabori tattoos, which are the kind you get in Japan. With the, with they, they do it you know, um, piece by piece with a needle by hand. Um, who's a Japanese specialist. And I asked him to reimagine the uh, Marine Corps logo, or the, uh, the emblem, I should say, insignia of the, the Eagle Globe and Anchor. And you might say, well, should you be remixing something so iconic? Well, funnily enough, I did a bunch of research on this. I mean, this is something I've been thinking about for two decades. If you look around and look at people's individuals, Eagle Globe and Anchor tattoos, everyone remixes it on all different kinds of ways, whether it's portrait realism versions or, you know, they'll add K-bars to it, which is the official knife of the Marine Corps. But just put tons of different sort of spins on it. I've seen the mock-up that he has. It still looks like the EGA, but it's got it, it's a Japanese traditional tattoo. And the reason why I picked him was one, he's very very talented. But two, BC, uh, I'm actually not the biggest fan of traditional tattoos in general. But one of the major major benefits of them is if you get them, no one can sort of figure out when you got it. I mean, if it's damaged, they might be able to. But the point being is, if you got a barbed wire tattoo, everybody knows you got it in the '90s. It's sort of <laughs> attached. Well, it's true. It's attached to that era. Traditional style of tattooing, Japanese or American, it's somewhat timeless. So, so I, I went with that, and uh, it's going to be black and gray with a little bit of red, and uh, it's going to be fucking awesome. Two follow-up questions. One, um, would you ever get an MK-inspired tattoo to really show the people that this has been the best turn of your entire career, Luke, okay. and your personal life? We get to a million subs, I'll get an MK tattoo. Easy. Wow. No sweat. One, one, oh, one million. That's a lot of freaking subs, Luke. Yep. Uh, my other question is, 
I, I want to say this seriously. I respect the Marines. Did you ever see the movie Lone Survivor? Yes, that's the one with Mark Wahlberg, right? Yes, so I it's haven't ba- well, it's, seen it's the movie. It's based on a true story. It is, and I know the story. I haven't seen the movie. I started watching it, though, two days ago, and all I got through was the opening because I got a phone call, whatever, you don't care. But the opening is real footage of, uh, of like, Marine training, of, like, boot camps and stuff. And, Luke, like, all the guys locking arms and laying in the water for well, hours on Those are on seals. End, you know? Are you sure? Uh, well, I've been to Marine Corps boot camp. We didn't do that. All right. Maybe I'm, maybe it was the damn Coast Guard for all I know. All right, Luke, I was about to give your Semper Fi guys a... a, a but you, had a, you, you got tested in extreme ways, correct? Yeah, I mean, it was one of the harder things I've ever done in my life uh, in a lot of different ways. So I've been, I've been waiting 20 years to get like a real, I'm proud of, no bullshit, you know. Uh, and I, I do it the right way. Like, this guy's expensive. I'm gonna stay, it's going to be huge. People think you should get tattoos that are small. If you get tattoos that are small, they're going to come out fucked up. Don't do that. They're going to fade easier a lot. Um, you can go to specialists who can sometimes do it, but in general, bigger tattoos are better. They're much easier to get the detail right, plus to get black uh, outlining and shading, which will last longer. I always recommend people get a little bit more. I put, a, I, dude, I put years of thought into this, so I'm ready. Let's do it. I got the money. Right. I got the willpower. I got the time. Let's fucking go. I hope you have the huevos to sit through it, though, Luke. Okay, I can mail you a few packages. I, I sat. I sat for four hours for a tattoo on my ribs. I, I'll be okay. Yeah, you once sat for four hours and rewatched Holloway uh, uh, Volkanovski <laughs> too, as well. All right, Luke, over and freaking over again. That's the show this week. Please like, subscribe, tell people, okay? Remember when you used to pass around STDs in college like it was going out of style? Pass around Morning Combat. Let the people know. At Morning Combat on both social channels there. Follow Luke and I as well. And if you want to send in a submission, artwork, you wearing our damn merch, morningcombat at gmail.com is the email. Hey, you want to, you want to slide in my DMs? They're open, okay? Uh, yes. Please, nothing Please gross, stop no sen- s- If you send me tipped... To tip things, I'm blocking you. Don't do it. And uh, shout out to Dickles. Uh, he was supposed to have some stuff on Wednesday's show, and he, I guess the email didn't go through, and he sent them to me. We're going we're to make sure that stuff sees the light of the day. Dickles is a okay. rising star in our in our stable of fans there, okay? Shout right. out to Malka, Showtime, CBS Sports. Um, yeah, that's all I got, Luke, okay? You, you want to tell the people anything? Yeah, I want you to have a safe flight home. Don't get covid and uh, I think, are you going to do a post-fight reaction to Canelo? Yes, I will. Yes. And I will do a post-fight reaction to UFC. I will be there UFC. for you. These five words I swear to you, Luke, okay? <laughs> all right. Very good. Well, don't eat all those eggs in one go and safe travels and blah, blah, blah. Thank you. Good luck to you on your tattoo. And enjoy the fights this weekend, folks. From UFC to Showtime and uh, DAZN, all that good stuff coming your way. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm Brian Campbell. I'm signing off for now for Luke Thomas. Uh, May all of your eggs be bagged, of course. And I've got two extra words for you. (laughs) We out.